0: Well, good morning. It is so good to be back with you all again. I was here in June, at the beginning of June, um, and I'm really glad to be back, so... um like Chad said, I work with SCF out at USI, and he did not draw your attention to this announcement, but I am. One of the other announcements is that we are having a Pray for Campus event um, at, right before school starts on August 21st. And so we just invite anybody who wants you to, to come out, walk around our campuses. I mean, UE is so close here. Just come out for the morning, walk around our campuses, pray and ask that God um, would have his will and his way in the lives of students this year. And there's a lot of apprehension for students coming back to campus or coming to campus for the first time. There's still a lot of unknowns. And so we want to do all that we can to cover the students and the campus in prayer. Um, Today we are going to look at the story that I think is most commonly known as the prodigal son in Luke 15. Um, I love history and culture. Before I went into ministry, I almost became a history teacher. And so as I prepared to preach this text, I um, studied a lot of the history and culture that surrounds this parable. Um, so I studied a lot from Dr. Ken Bailey um, and also used Tim Keller's book, The Prodigal God. So both are resources that I'd highly recommend if you want to dig deeper into this parable. There's a lot to learn. <laughs> I had no idea when I started, um, but their insights have just been really helpful in opening my eyes to some of the riches and what is for me a really familiar parable. Um, but they showed me a lot more beyond what first jumps out. So Jesus tells this parable in response to the Pharisees grumbling about the fact that Jesus is eating with sinners. This is not just because they don't like who he's friends with, although that might be part of it. But the Pharisees believed that their duty before God came from primarily from this very strict and precise observance of the law, which would keep them ceremonially pure. That was their highest priority in life. Now, this is very difficult when living amongst a people, even other Jewish people, who did not hold the law so carefully, and not even to mention the other Gentiles that were living around them as well. And so one option would have been to totally withdraw from everybody, <laughs> not ideal, and so they tried to find this balance, and one way that they found this balance was by being very careful who they ate with, and they would Pharisees would only eat with other people who were also keeping the law very strictly, so other Pharisees. And so when they say Jesus, this rabbi, this teacher who they can tell is from God, and then they see him eating with sinners and tax collectors, that's not matching up. (laughs) And so there's some grumbling, and Jesus wants to address their grumbling. So he tells three stories, um, two of which you looked at last week, the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin, and the third is what we're looking at today, the prodigal son. And so he's addressing their grumbling. I don't think they even asked him the question. I think, you know, there was just some grumbling over there, and he knew, and so he thought he'd just go ahead and address it. So he addresses that about how he can claim to be from God and be an incredible teacher and yet deliberately break custom to eat with people who are not pure, which they see as their primary duty before God, and maybe even his as well. They think he should be more careful. And so I'm guessing—this is just me kind of wondering what they're thinking— But I think they're probably wondering, under their grumbling, what does it mean to be obedient to God among those who are not following God and are not faithful to God? What does it mean to remain pure and acceptable before God? They thought they knew the answers. They had their boundaries drawn pretty clearly. These are the things we're going to do and not do, who we're going to do it with and who we're not going to do it with. And now Jesus is making them question all that again. So all these questions are coming back up. Even if that's not what they're asking at any rate, I think Jesus is putting their own purity at risk because He's eating with sinners and then also eating with them and that, like, that's not supposed to happen. So Jesus wants to address their questions, but I think this is also a case where the people are asking very small questions and Jesus is like, that's, that's not the point. That's, you're thinking too small. And so he tells them this story to kind of expand their thinking, say, come, come into a bigger picture of who God is and what God is about. I'll answer your question, but you've got to see a bigger picture first. And so I'm going to read this parable, um, and I'm going to start at the beginning of the chapter with the context and then skip into um, ch- verse 11 where we pick up the story of the prodigal son. So this is Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus told them this parable, the lost sheep and the lost coin and then the prodigal son. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, the servant replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered and says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and he now is found. And so, as we consider this story, I want to point out a couple things that I've learned. Um, The first is that inheritance, I think this is the same today, inheritance is understood to be given when a man passes away. And so for a son to ask for his inheritance early was in essence to say to his dad, I wish you were dead. I think any of us would expect a very harsh a negative reaction, even a violent reaction, but this is the first place we see Jesus turn the story on its head. We see this first instance of compassion and grace when the father responds and grants his son's request. He divides his property between them. We assume it's land because most people, that was where their wealth came from. And so not only does the, the father Compassionately give his son the wealth that he asked for. The father is even reducing his own wealth and his own means of livelihood by giving away the land to the son. So the son receives that property from his father. We assume he sells it because he goes off to squander his wealth in what is called wild living. Now, Here's something I learned from Dr. Ken Bailey that isn't in the text, but he said it was part of the culture. It was part of the understood law um, that would have been known by Jesus' listeners, especially the Pharisees, uh, because they were so concerned with keeping the law. And so there was a law that was written. If a man ever lost his inheritance among the Gentiles, it was not just an, an individual matter or a family matter. It wasn't just like, well, sorry for you. I guess you're poor now. The whole village comes together, if that man ever were to return home to his village, they come together to shame the man and drive him out of the village in what was called a kaziza, or a cutting-off ceremony. They cut him off from the village because he's lost his wealth among the Gentiles. This is not so much punishment as just to protect the integrity And the purity, even the identity of that village community. If he is bringing an influence from the Gentiles, like that puts the whole community at risk. And so in order to protect their community, they have to cut him off. We know that the younger son lost his inheritance among the Gentiles because he got a job feeding pigs. No Jewish person was going to own pigs. And so the son is now in a pickle because he's lost all his wealth among the Gentiles. And there's a famine and so if he wants to eat again, he has to come up with a pretty good plan because in his mind, the father is the only person he can hope for. The father is the one who has shown him the most compassion. And so this, the text says that he came to himself, meaning just he thought to himself, he kind of came came to reality, kind of assessed the situation, and he decides to make a plan to earn back the money and in essence, his, earn back the way into his community and his family. So, this does not necessarily mean that he, like, had a change of heart. It just means he needs a way to earn back, his, like, a way to eat. And so, he makes his plan. Again, in his mind, the sin is that he broke the law by losing his money among the Gentiles. And so, to make things right, he has to earn the money back. So, this is his plan. He says, I will set out. I will go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. True and make, please make me like one of your hired servants. And that's what he does. He goes back to his father with his speech ready. But while he was still a long way off, the Bible says, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and kissed him. Again, this is not what we would expect from a father, especially not in this culture. Nothing suggests that we would expect compassion and yet, this is what we see. This is who the Father is that Jesus is describing. And this is not just like, this is not just compassion, but this is costly compassion. Gentlemen did not run in this culture. It was considered extremely undignified. Um, and even for some practical reasons. I don't know if any of you, maybe some of the ladies, have ever tried to run in a long dress or robe. It's very difficult. As someone who has a one-year-old, running to keep up with your child in a long dress is very difficult. So for a man to run, he has to hike up his robe, which again is extremely undignified. This is like shameful for him. And, but yet that is what he does at cost to himself to, to embrace his son again. And so the son gives his prepared speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And there he stops. He leaves out that part about becoming a hired servant. Maybe the father interrupted him before he could finish. Or maybe, in receiving the unearned welcome of the father, the son realizes that earning back the money is not the way to make things right. The father has already bridged the gap. And why is that? Surely, earning the money back to avoid being cut off by the community would have made things right. And it would have, but only in the eyes of the law, only in the eyes of the Pharisees, Only when there is no grace. Only when you have to meet all the requirements of the law to maintain your purity and right relationship with God. But in this story, Jesus shows he knows exactly that what was done was wrong. He knows the expected way to fix it. The son needs to earn his way back. And yet he turns this story on its head with a compassionate father. The father humbled himself in an undignified way. By running to embrace his son, he extends, before the son does anything except show up, the father extends this extravagant love by offering restoration to his son. So how do we make ourselves right with God? That's the question I think the Pharisees assumed they knew the answer to. That's why they were following the law so diligently. But Jesus turns it on its head and says, shows us that it is in receiving the grace of the father That the father extends that's how we make ourselves right with god and a costly demonstration of love the father invites his son back to be restored into his family into his community and the father accepts his son with an embrace before the son has done anything to earn the father's compassion despite what the law required what restores the relationship what restores the family is the son's acceptance of the love and compassion of the father And this picture is the same picture of restoration that we see in the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin. All three have the same theme. The sheep and the coin, like, they can't do anything. The coin's just laying there. And it just accepts being found. (laughs) Like, it's not doing anything. But the woman finds the coin and she rejoices. And in the same way, the father, like, embraces, finds the son, back, brings him back into family or invites him back into family. And the son just accepts. The son accepts. The compassionate father and Jesus, they know that the heart of sin is not just broken law, but broken relationship. And so the father bridges the gap to restore that relationship, offering grace and forgiveness. The son's response is to accept and to submit without paying for the wrong done. If the son had tried to restore the relationship by earning back the money, as was his plan and as would have been expected by the community it would have trivialized the love and the relationship, making it little more than a business transaction. And this is especially true if he would have continued to try to earn his way back after the father had already demonstrated that he accepted him. And so the son accepts his position back in the family and the father throws a party. The father says, let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And then That's reiterated by the servant saying to the older brother, your brother has come, your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Why are they celebrating? The servant says it's because the son is home and the father has him back safe and sound. This party, I think it's for both, but I think it's more to celebrate the father's demonstration of love than it is to celebrate the son's effort to make things right. The son showed up, but it was the father's love that restored the relationship. And that phrase, safe and sound, it doesn't just mean like he returned home and didn't have a scratch on him, but it's the same word in Greek. It's the word that's used to translate shalom from the Hebrew. Shalom, meaning shalom just means like everything is made right. Um, it's brought to peace and it's brought to wholeness. The son was returned, like the f- son came back into wholeness. The family is again in wholeness. And so the younger son is, presumably, he's in there feasting along with the father and everybody else. He celebrates the love of the father that reestablished the relationship. But at this celebration, how does the older son respond? Like the Pharisees, he says, I've been slaving for you all these years. I never disobeyed your order, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Which sounds a lot like what the Pharisees would have been saying, We obeyed every law you gave us and we worked hard not to eat with people who would make us unclean. But what the older son doesn't realize is that his actions of calling out the father in the middle of the feast, while not necessarily breaking a law, just reveals that his relationship with the father is broken as well. He also has not received the love that his father has offered to him. His relationship is broken and requires repentance as well. He expects that he should have earned something from all his faithfulness and hard work, which is not unlike the younger son's plan. Yet the father again humbles himself to come out and plead with his older son, please come into this party, please come and accept my love. You did not have to earn it. All I have is yours. The older son too, he must accept the love, grace, and forgiveness of the father Without having earned anything, even though he was obedient his whole life, he too must be restored back into shalom, into that wholeness of relationship. And yet, Jesus doesn't share the response of the older son. I think for us to read the story, we're like, it's like a cliffhanger. Like, what happened? What's the ends? Like, you can't leave us hanging like that. And yet, that's exactly what Jesus wanted to do. He is leaving us hanging because we have to answer the question. Do we accept the father's love, the Pharisees had to answer that question as they identified with that older son. And as someone, like, I really don't like making mistakes, and so as I was, like, working through this parable and studying it, by the end, I was like, yeah, this is just really hard to, like, deal with. I want to follow the rules, and I want to, like, get something out of that. I want to be honored because of that. I like grace and forgiveness and love, too, but I want there to be a requirement for people to do what they need to do. And it's not that Jesus doesn't ever talk about this. In John 14 and 15, of course, he says, whoever loves me obeys my command. But that is about how we respond back to the Father after we've received his love. It has nothing to do with earning anything from the Father. And so back to those questions the Pharisees were asking. And again, I have some compassion for them. It is hard to live a pure life when the draw of the world is so strong and even so subtle. And I think we can feel that. Like, how do we remain pure? How do we remain faithful? I thought we had it figured out. We had our lines drawn. But now I'm not sure anymore. I understand these questions that they're asking. And I may be giving them, like, a little bit of benefit of the doubt. But... I think underneath all of it, I think there is a little bit of, like, Pharisees asking, who does God accept? It's us, right? We're the ones that have worked hard. We're the ones that have been faithful. Like, it's us, right? Like, like it's us. But Jesus, again, he invites them into this bigger picture. And I think he's maybe saying, the question isn't, who does God accept and how do we become that person? I think what Jesus seems to be saying is, like, the question he wants them to ask and the question that he's answering is, who can accept God's love? None of us can earn God's acceptance. All we can do is accept and receive his love and respond to that. Jesus wanted to invite the Pharisees into this greater view of the character and the heart of God, showing them the compassion and the costly love that is demonstrated by the Father in the story, And is being demonstrated even then by Jesus himself and the father who sent him. That Jesus left his heavenly home and has run out of the house to find his children. Those who are living impurely among the Gentiles and those who have worked hard to maintain their purity through right living. God offers acceptance to both and both must decide if they can come to him and receive his love. It's clear that the younger son accepted, and we know that the sinners accepted the love of Jesus by eating with him because that's what started the whole story. But what about that older son and the Pharisees to whom Jesus told this story? Would they accept the extravagant, unmerited, costly love of their father? And we see as we continue through the gospel, some do and some don't. Some cannot accept it. But this is the heart of the gospel that even if we follow the law perfectly, which we can't, we can never earn the love of the father because it has already been given. It has already been given through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. We just have to choose to come to him and accept it. And I think the questions that Jesus wanted the Pharisees to ask are the questions he wants us to ask as well. Have I accepted God's love or am I still making plans and making efforts or making efforts to earn my place in his family and the invitation that jesus offers to all of us is have you accepted my love only then can you live in right relationship and right living with me jesus asks will you celebrate with me that it is my love and my sacrifice that has made a way for our relationship our family to be restored and last week, Dave posed the question. And I think this is true for all the parables. But where are we in this story? Where do we fit? Where do I? Where do we identify? Um, what What is this story? If this Jesus is telling this story to invite us into a bigger picture, like where are we in that picture? And I think in this parable, um, I know a lot of us can either identify with the older son or the younger son. And so, in either case, have we accepted the love of the father? that restores the relationship? That's the question. That's where we are in the story. Do we come in to celebrate at the feast? Or are we waiting outside thinking that we should have earned something already? Um, I hope all of us, I hope all of us are able to accept the grace that the Father offers us so that then we can live um, in relationship with him. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you that, um, Jesus, you turn the story on its head. All the things we expected from the Father and even from you, Jesus, the things that we might have expected, you turn them on their head and say, I offer compassion, I offer grace, and I offer love. You don't have to do anything to earn it. And Lord, we, um, we want to accept it. Lord, would you show us again what it means to have received your love, um, to rest in that and to celebrate that, to enjoy the feast that you've given us um, and enjoy the abundance of restored relationship with you. And Lord, would you help us to offer that and to show that to those around us, to the world that is trying to earn your favor or the world that thinks they already have. Um, Lord, would you just lead us in demonstrating what your love looks like, um, what it looks like to have received grace from you and to have received compassion. That is not through anything we've done on our own, but Lord, it is because we've received the gifts that you've given us. Lord, we want to work with you and partner with you to invite others to receive that same grace and compassion. So, Lord, I I just pause now and, Lord, I ask that as we take a few minutes just of quiet, that you would show us um, how to respond to this message. Like, um, Lord, would you show us if there's anyone that we need to extend that same grace to just as we've received it from you? Um, Lord, would you show us if there's any way that we are trying to earn or think we have earned something from you? Lord, we thank you that in you there is grace and compassion and love and forgiveness. And so, Lord, we thank you for the things that you've shown us. Lord, would you help us to walk in faithfulness in relationship with you? We pray this in your name. Amen.